0: A preamp is usually the first thing that your microphone or instrument signal hits. It's the thing that takes that very low level signal and raises it up so that it's ready for regular amplification. Sounds simple, but people actually get really into preamps, and preamps can actually make a pretty significant difference in how a recording sounds. Fortunately most modern preamps sound pretty good, but if you want to get obsessed, well, you definitely can. Welcome to Strong Songs, a podcast about music. I'm your host, Kirk Hamilton, and as always, I'm so glad that you joined me to talk about music recorded through Neve preamps, music recorded through Helios preamps, and sometimes music recorded through just some preamp that didn't have a known brand. We've got a pretty cool episode for you this time around with a bunch of different songs to talk about, so find a comfortable place to sit, turn up the volume, and enjoy the show. It is remarkable how many things I'm still learning about home recording. I've been making music in my home studio for more than a decade. I cut a whole album mostly in a home studio, and yet there are times when I will learn things that I feel like any beginning music engineering student would have learned, and if I had taken music engineering as a course, I probably would have already known. And while it's possible to learn a lot about music production from the internet, I mean, YouTube is incredible. It's an incredible resource for learning how to do EQ and compression and mixing and how to set up a home studio. It's still no substitute for having a course where someone actually teaches you thing by thing and it makes it possible to have these kind of big gaps in your knowledge. For instance, here's a confession for people who think I know everything because I make a podcast about this kind of stuff. I didn't really know what balanced cables were for in a studio. I always kind of just used instrument cables for everything because I always had a lot of those lying around. The difference is there's an extra ring on a balanced cable. It's a TRS cable, tip ring sleeve. And that's because it has two signal wires inside of the cable. And it's the same kind of cable you use for a standard stereo cable. But in the studio, you want to use those balanced cables for mono signals because they're balanced and they they kind of don't get as much noise on them. Where if you use a guitar cable for everything, you get a lot more noise. And I was using guitar cables for things that I should have been using a balanced cable for for a long time and getting a lot of noise on the cable. And then I finally realized, oh, I need to replace all of these cables with balanced cables. So I replaced them with balanced cables, everything sounds better now, the story does have a happy ending, but my point is that anytime I learn something like that, I always feel kind of stupid for a minute because I should have known it years ago, I guess, but then I kind of immediately treat it as a way to like give myself permission to just have gaps in my knowledge and then fill those gaps in by learning the thing because that's part of the process of learning and in the end, the learning is the important part. So welcome back to the show, I'm so glad that you're all here. We're nearing the end of the year, the end of the second year of Strong Song year two. And it's been a really great year for the show. It's been super fun to watch the audience grow, to hear from so many of you out there who've discovered the show this year and have started listening. Um, Thanks so much for giving me your time. I know that everybody has their time split between a million different things. There's so many great podcasts out there in the world right now, and it really means a lot to me that so many of you take the time to listen to Strong Songs, to listen to me talk about music every two weeks. Thanks as well to all of my Patreon supporters. This show is entirely listener supported. It is totally paid for through Patreon and all of you are making it possible for me to keep doing this. That is really cool. I want that to be true for as long as I make strong songs and I think it will be. So thank you all so much for supporting me making this show. If you want to know more about how to help me make this show, head on over to patreon.com slash strong songs. And if you can't afford to be a patron, that's totally fine. Really just tell people about the show. If you like it, uh, spread the word. Tell your friends. That is really an amazing way to help me out. And a lot of people have been doing that. And that's how the show has grown over the course of 2020. If you would like to write in with a question, feedback, a suggestion, really anything, um, you can write me at listeners at strongsongspodcast.com. You can also find me on social media. I'm on Twitter at Kirk Hamilton, and I'm on Instagram at Kirk underscore Hamilton. All right, let's get into the episode because we've got a lot of ground to cover. In year one, I did an off-format episode where I talked about a bunch of TV themes, specifically animated TV show themes, and this year we're going to do something sort of similar. So I love watching TV, I love TV music, and I'm going to do another episode of TV music, but with a different focus. Without further ado, listeners, I am proud to present Strong TV Songs, HBO edition. There are a lot of different themes that I could have embraced for the second ever Strong TV Songs episode. I kind of went through a lot of different possibilities, and there are a lot of possibilities that I may explore down the road. But when it came down to it, there was one network with a bunch of shows with interesting theme music and interesting music overall that I thought it would be cool to talk about on the show. And that network is HBO. You
1: woke up this morning, got yourself again.
0: HBO was at the vanguard of the so-called golden age of television right around the turn of the century, thanks in large part to the show whose theme song you're hearing right now, the Sopranos. However, I am not actually really going to focus on HBO shows with theme songs that are just songs. In this case, this is by the Alabama Three. It's just from one of their albums. I think like those songs are all cool and there are some really great songs that uh, accompany HBO shows. But I'm going to talk more about original music that was composed for the show. And in some cases, I'm actually going to talk about the music that played on the show and not just the music that played over the opening credits. I'm going to focus on the music from five HBO shows and this is going to be a pretty long episode. Even though there are a bunch of shows from that sort of golden age era where I would really love to talk about their credits music because it's great. So before we go in depth into anything, just to give a quick tour of some of the theme songs that I really like but won't have a chance to go deeper on, at least not on this episode, there's Thomas Newman's 2001 opening credits theme to Six Feet Under. Maybe the definitive use of the Lydian mode in a TV theme song? Thomas Newman is a really influential composer, especially his work from the early 2000s. He wrote the music to American Beauty, which I think was like the thing that set off a huge trend in this whole style of cinematic music writing. So this is just all about that Lydian mode. It's got that sharp 4, which you can hear just ringing out over and over and over again, and that's the thing that makes Lydian, Lydian. There's a flat 7 in there too, so it's really more like Lydian dominant. Really cool melody, too. It features the English horn, which is sort of like an oboe, but it's an oboe with a kind of a bent neck. That's how you can identify it. English horn, it has a kind of almost more nasal sound than the oboe, which is already a fairly nasal sounding double reed. Not the most common instrument, at least not for TV theme songs, so that's another thing that sets the Six Feet Under music apart. I really love that music, and I love Thomas Newman's music. I mean, he did the Shawshank Redemption, Finding Nemo. Every movie that he's scored is really defined by his music, and he was a great choice for that show. Speaking of Lydian, another theme song from the early 2000s that I really dig and actually mentioned on a previous Q&A episode, and that is David Schwartz's 2004 theme for Deadwood. Love that sharp four over there on the right. I think that's like a dobro or something. This track actually has something in common with Fleetwood Max The Chain, which we talked about a few episodes ago. This is also in drop D, and it's got those big drop D power chords in the guitar. But to me, it's just all about that sharp four that they add up there over on the right channel. And the last theme song that I'm not going to go into in depth but do want to mention is the theme music to The Wire, which premiered in 2002 and was written by the great Tom Waits. But what's interesting about The Wire is that each season of the show features a different performance of the same song. There's the season one version, which was performed by the Blind Boys of Alabama.
1: If you walk through the garden, you better watch your back. Will I beg your pardon.
0: Season two's version was performed by the man himself, Tom Waits.
1: If you walk with Jesus, he's gonna save your soul. You got I-
0: The season 3 version was performed by the Neville brothers. The season 4 version, maybe my favorite, was performed by a group of Baltimore teenagers which matches up with the season's focus on the Baltimore educational system. And the season 5 version was performed by Steve Earle, who also played a small role on the show. Musically speaking, Way Down in the Hole is very straightforward, and that's because it's a blues, the most common type of song form in American music. We talked about the blues, of course, on previous episodes, including the one on Prince's Kiss. Even before what could be called the modern era of TV, the sort of 2010 to 2020 era of television, this network had a lot of important shows with a lot of important music. I think that HBO shows have been very influential over the last 20 years, and there are some really noticeable trends in theme music and credits music that have followed in the footsteps of some HBO shows. With that in mind, let's get current and let's go deeper with one of the most influential theme songs of any TV show ever, a nearly ubiquitous theme that... In just five notes to find the show that it was introducing those five notes were these five notes and when you play them a certain way you get this theme song oh yes if you're going to start start big and we're going to be starting very big with ramin Jawadi's theme for game of thrones It's hard to imagine a world now where the Game of Thrones theme music doesn't exist, just like it's hard to imagine a world where Game of Thrones doesn't exist. But I remember the first time that I heard this theme music and the first time that I saw this show, I actually was not impressed. I hadn't read the books. I knew a lot of people really liked them. So I was reserving judgment on the show. But I remember thinking that the music was just kind of bland. And listening to it now, I think that's anything but the case. I think that the subtlety and the ingeniousness of this theme music was just lost on me the first time that I heard it because I just wasn't really listening listening that critically, and all I heard were some strings playing the same motif over and over and over again, and I didn't really get how that could be cool. Of course, over time, Jawadi's theme became a meme and sort of took on a life of its own as people did all kinds of covers to it. People wrote really funny versions with lyrics. My favorite is, I think it was the band Anamanaguchi who wrote a version that's just, Thrones, yeah, Game of Thrones, yeah, Game of Thrones. And that motif, it's repeated so many times. It's so in your face during this theme music. It's just these five notes, starts in C minor, G, C, E flat, F, G, C, and that's the motif. That's the whole thing, and it's all just various layers sort of nestled within one another of that motif. So when you have a motif that's that in your face that gets repeated that many times, of course it kind of, it gets stuck in your head really quickly and I think that's a big part of why this theme music became such a phenomenon is because everyone had it stuck in their head all weeks. Like yes, it was because the show was good and everybody was really excited about Game of Thrones. Remember, this is season one, like when the, sh- when the show was good. And everybody was really excited about it. But that excitement was amplified every time you heard that music because you knew those notes told you it was time for Game of Thrones. So let's go through the Game of Thrones theme music and we can break down all of the different motifs that Jawadi uses, the ways that he takes that main motif and sort of twists it and warps it through this chord progression, though I actually want to talk about something that happens at the very beginning of this music, at the very start, that I think is pretty cool. So if you've been listening to this show for a while, maybe you'll hear it too or maybe you already know what I'm going to talk about, but listen to the very beginning of the Game of Thrones theme music and see if you can hear what's going on. There's one short place where the motif changes and then it changes back. Let's listen and see if you can hear what I'm talking about. Here it comes. So right off the bat there at the beginning, something unexpected happens. We're in C minor, right? So we're kind of moving between these notes, and that minor third is a big part of C minor. But for a second, the motif switches, and instead of playing the minor version, it plays a major version. Which is just this unexpected sort of glimpse of brightness in the middle of the theme when they haven't even really established the motif yet. It's the only time it happens in the entire recording, it's an unusual sort of parallel move from C minor to C major, and I really like it, I think it's just this neat little flourish at the very beginning. So this is minor, and this is major. So the nestled nature of this melody is really clear from the very beginning. This is a cello playing the lead, and the cello will play the motif in a more kind of elongated version. And at the end of that phrase, which functions sort of as a call, the response is the other string sounds like violas and violins will play kind of twice as fast, a compressed version of the motif over a new chord. Then the solo cello will come back in with the more elongated version. And then the higher strings will respond again with the more compressed, faster version on the final chord. Now, harmonically, it's not that exciting. It starts on a C minor chord, then it goes to a G minor chord, which is the five minor, then it goes to B flat major, and then it goes to F minor. The second time through, form stays pretty much the same. Uh, there's a second higher string that joins the solo cello, but it goes through those chords again with a different last chord. So it goes from C minor... To G minor, to B flat major, to C minor. It ends on a C minor the last time. That also totally makes sense. End on four on the end of your first phrase, and then end back on one at the end of the second phrase. I think that what Jawadi does with the motif that he's introduced is pretty cool. He treats it more like a shape. This is something that we've seen in past things that I've talked about on the show, in particular in Hamilton, uh, where Lin-Manuel Miranda would treat some of the motifs that he came up with for various characters with a weight placed toward the shape rather than the specific intervals that the motif is built out of so you'll hear like various versions of Angelica's theme where the notes aren't always the exact same but the general shape of the motif is the same and Jawadi does something similar here. The main motif starting in C minor it starts up on the five and it goes like this. So let's follow it through the rest of this first part the next chord is G minor and the motif sounds like this. That is the exact same motif, starts in the same place, goes the same place, same thing, just transposed down to a G minor. The next one in B flat major though, is a little bit different. That sounds like this. So of course the difference is that we're in B flat major. So there's a major third, which really kind of changes the nature of the motif. Same way that it did in the introduction when he went back and forth between C minor and C major. That major third up to the fourth is a half step. It's just got a very different sound to it. This is what it would sound like if it were B flat minor but this is what it sounds like in B flat major. The shape has stayed totally the same though so far. We're just in a major key instead of a minor one. The last chord is on F minor and it's still the same shape. It's just down in F minor and it sounds like this. So, so far only one major change, so to speak, The B flat major has a major third, but everything else has stayed the same. The second half of this first sort of opening section moves through the same chords in the same way until it gets to the very end of the phrase. It lands on that C minor chord, and the motif that's played by those higher strings changes significantly. So here's the original motif in C minor, and here's the motif that comes at the end of the phrase. So the notes there are it starts on a c then it drops down to a g to an a flat to a b flat to a c which is just very different harmonically than the motif has been up to this point even though rhythmically and in terms of the shape it's very similar it sounds more dissonant because it starts with that half step and you can really hear that half step rub the g to the a flat is very present in the arrangement and it sounds final as well it sounds like it's coming to the end of the phrase That's because of the note that it's arranged around. So if you think of this motif as sort of it starts on a note and it drops down and then walks back up to that note, that's the shape that I'm talking about. And at the beginning of the phrase, it starts on that G, which is the fifth in the key of C. So the opening part of this motif and the main part of the motif as we've been hearing it so far has really kind of revolved around that note. It starts there and it returns there. And that note is the fifth. The fifth is a very unresolved sound. The fifth just does not feel like you have arrived home. It sounds like you're still kind of going somewhere, so the fact that the motif is so arranged around the fifth through all of these chords kind of keeps it moving forward until that very last phrase, that very last repetition of the motif, when it shifts and suddenly it's centered around the one, around C minor. Just goes to show, you wouldn't think you could put that much thought into such a simple motif that's used in such a straightforward way, but actually you can, and it's a safe bet that Juwadi put that much thought into the orchestration when he was writing this music. So, let's listen back to that first part, and just listen for all of that. Listen for the very beginning, when the C minor goes briefly to C major, then listen to how the motif moves through the chord progression, echoing from the longer phrase in the cello to the more quick phrase in the higher strings, and then at the very end, listen for how the motif changes. When it arrives on that final C minor chord and drops down to the G with that half step right in there and resolves to the one. After that they go into yet another time through the chord progression with all of the strings in. there's now a sort of full orchestra in playing the melody and because they spend so much time repeating the same section it makes it that much more impactful when things finally change and they go to some new harmony. There's such a feeling of release to this section when it finally resolves up to that A flat major. That's that first chord that uh, that starts this new section, and that's the relative major of C minor. So it's this very logical place and a very nice resolution uh, for the melody to arrive at. And it's here where the kind of grandiosity of this theme really comes to the fore. So during this music, we're seeing these amazing miniature versions of all of the keeps of Westeros, and we're taking a kind of aerial tour of the continent. And it's always during this section when the A-flat hits that it really starts to feel like you see the full scope of what's been going on during the credit sequence. It's when it all comes together, and I think that's by design that it happens around that A-flat major resolution. The motif also changes significantly here as it kind of weaves its way through. This new chord progression. It keeps the same basic shape, but the notes change significantly. So it starts, it goes to an A flat major, which sounds like this, then it goes to an E flat major, then to F minor, and then back to C minor. It's a significant evolution of the motif as he moves through that chord progression. Second time through it does pretty much the same thing: A flat major, E flat major, F minor, c minor then a flat major and then it does that big flat six flat seven to one walk up it goes a flat major to b flat major to c minor ending on that final cool phrase that sort of drops down to the g that version of the motif that drops down and then walks back up to the c So as the choir comes in one last time a flat to e flat to f minor to c minor down to a flat to a flat b flat c I love that instrument at the end there. That's like a dulcimer or something, some kind of hammered string instrument that gives it this much more chimey kind of high frequency sound than you would be expecting given all the sturm and drang of the cellos and the big orchestra and the crashing timpanis and heavy drums um, of the rest of the recording. So it's such a cool theme because it's so simple and yet complex at the same time. It's really clear what it's doing. It's kind of just so obvious about it. And it's been really influential in the years since it debuted. I'll hear this kind of approach to theme music writing where there's a really clear motif and then that motif is just dominant throughout the opening credits and it just gets used over and over and over again and twisted in all these new ways. I actually hear it a lot in other genre TV shows. Like, Game of Thrones was the first prestige genre show, and by genre I mean it was like a fantasy or sci-fi kind of a show. And before that, you know, most prestige TV was like crime shows like The Sopranos or The Wire, or political shows like The West Wing. You didn't get a lot of genre that was seen as prestigious in the way that Game of Thrones was, and this music was very different from the kind of music that you would hear in your average genre TV show. So it's almost like a lot of composers decided that this was the way that you wrote music for a prestigious genre TV show is you wrote a really clear theme and then you just took that theme and put it through the blender for the entire opening credits uh the doom patrol theme that's a really cool theme that comes to mind is one that kind of does this approach and takes you know really really strong motif and then just plays with that throughout the entire credits and you know that's an hbo show that's on hbo max so that counts for this episode or you know close enough that was written by clint mansell and kevin kiner that show has really cool music clint mansell in particular i love his work Another very simple motif that just repeats over and over and over again, ever more emphatically. Also, another one of these themes that has a 6 8 time pulse underneath it. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 1, 2, 3, dun, 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 6 8. It's very driving. It draws people in, clearly. Another theme song from this lineage actually also comes from another HBO show, and that is Lauren Balf's theme to his dark materials we So, you know, yet another show based on a very popular, very good fantasy series that uh, has kind of similar style to its opening credits, a similar visual style, and musically it's also pretty similar. It feels a lot like Game of Thrones when you're watching it, which I don't think was an accident. Game of Thrones is a really successful show for HBO, and I'm sure they would be happy if all of their shows made viewers feel like they were watching Game of Thrones. In this case, there's just this one motif that plays throughout the entire opening credits sequence. It's a really cool motif. It's kind of the defining motif of this show's soundtrack. And I mean, we're still. in C minor, so in the same key of Game of Thrones, and here's the Game of Thrones motif, and here's the His Dark Materials motif. So, you know, they're different. They each have their own identity, but they have some similarities, too. They're kind of built around these five known ideas. They sort of sit in a similar place in your ear and in your mind. Um, I do actually really like the music to this show, and I like the show okay. I love the books, but I like the show fine. We'll see how it goes for season two. But um, I do like this opening credit sequence, and I love this thing they do at the end because it feels like such a direct nod to Game of Thrones. So here's what Balf does at the end of the His Dark Materials theme music. catch it you might not have caught it it happens pretty quickly but the motif changes it changes just one note and you'll never guess what that note is actually you probably will guess what that note is if you can uh, judge by the tone of my voice and the fact that we talked about this already with the game of thrones theme so the original motif remember is this so that's starting up on the fifth up on that g then it goes down to the minor third to the e flat then up to an a flat and then walks down to F. That's what the motif is normally. But just one time, right near the end of the credit sequence, it changes that E flat, that minor third, to a major third. And just one time, the motif sounds like this. It is identical to what Ramin Djawadi does at the very beginning of the Game of Thrones theme, and I can't imagine that this isn't purposefully Balf sort of shouting out Game of Thrones and giving a little wink in there to anyone who would notice something like this, arranging it at the end of the piece of music instead of at the beginning, but doing the exact same thing where just one time on a motif that's repeated a whole bunch of times in minor, going to a major third just to add an unexpected shift and brightness just for a single time through the motif. you hear it? I mean, listen to how Game of Thrones does it. It can't be a coincidence. The first time I heard that, my eyes lit up and I was like, oh, come on. That's a little joke for people like me who notice that kind of thing. Of course, Jawadi's approach to writing the theme music to Game of Thrones also influenced his later music. One of the most epic pieces of music from Game of Thrones is The Night King, which is all built around a very simple motif that repeats for almost nine minutes during a climactic battle sequence near the end of the series. The whole thing is just a minor third. It's an A minor. It starts on an A and just plays A to C back to A. But it's a testament to Jawadi's approach that he starts with such a simple motif that's played literally just on the piano, and he can start here... and he can develop it until midway through the piece. It's gotten much more complex, but it remains the same motif. And actually, shortly after that section you just heard, Giwatti does something very clever and fun. He complexifies the motif more by introducing an older motif. You can hear it in the strings over on the left. This is just a little bit later in the piece. you hear it? It's the original Game of Thrones motif. So when developing his new motif, he adds in the old motif, keeps building it, remember this very simple, just kind of a minor third motif, builds it and builds it and builds it until by the end of the piece, almost nine minutes later, it sounds like this. While he was working on Game of Thrones, Giwati, of course, composed music for lots of other things, movies and TV shows, and he's really kind of mastered this approach of like riff-based composition. A riff I usually think of as a melody, like a simple melody, and you could call it a motif. It's kind of riffy, though. And I've mentioned this on a previous episode, I believe on a QA, and a that a thing that I really like about Giwati's music is how straightforward it is. Like his theme from that movie Pacific Rim, totally awesome movie that rules. If you haven't seen it, you should watch it. But a great soundtrack and the theme that he wrote that main riff it just perfectly accompanies giant robots stomping out into the ocean to fight huge monsters let I me mean, check this out So that one features Tom Morello from Rage Against the Machine, a great riff-based band that wrote a lot of riff-based tunes, so it's really fitting that he would play on that theme. And I mean, that Pacific Rim theme rules. It just repeats that same riff over and over again. And I don't know about you, but it does make me want to climb into a giant robot and fight a kaiju. The last of Jawadi's themes that I want to talk about is also for an HBO show. It's a theme that he wrote in 2016, and I think it's actually really cool. I like the theme at this point more than I like the show, though I like the show when it first aired. Of course, the show that I'm talking about is HBO 2016 adaptation of Westworld. So it starts off simple enough with a very straightforward motif, very Jawadi-esque. It starts with the 1-3-4-5 motif, which, I just want to be clear here, those notes, 1-3-4-5 in minor, put them in a different order and you get this. Not even that different of an order either. You just start on five and then go one, three, four, five. So, very similar motif here, almost a callback here at the beginning. That said, putting them in this order, it actually reminds me of um, Jesper Kidd's original Assassin's Creed theme, which sounds like this. That piece of music is actually called Ezio's Family. It was introduced in Assassin's Creed 2, and now is kind of just uses the Assassin's Creed theme in general because it's really good. And yeah, it sounds very similar to the beginning of the Westworld theme. Kind of same notes, some differences, but uh, the one makes me think of the other. They have similar vibes. However, unlike Game of Thrones, which is very much a one-motif theme song, the Westworld theme introduces that motif, but then introduces some new ones. some real structural similarities with the game of thrones theme he's using the same kind of approach he's got a longer motif that's played by the strings and then it's echoed by a much shorter more condensed motif however there are two different motifs this time it's not a faster version of the same motif so there's a lot more variety in the westworld music Though I do have to say, they are I mean, they're pretty similar. Both of them have this kind of 6 dum, 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 kind of a groove. It's appropriate in Westworld. It started out at least as a Western. There are a lot of horses. There's a lot of horse imagery during the opening credits for, for Season 1. So it makes sense that they would have that kind of a groove. But it's the same groove as the Game of Thrones groove. So it's hard not to kind of compare them pretty directly. That being said, for all the similarities that the first part of the theme music has to Game of Thrones, there's a moment midway through this opening credit sequence where it totally departs into some... Something different. You can hear so many Jawadiisms in here, right? This sounds like the end of the Night King, those arpeggios that he likes to use. It's almost like the Game of Thrones theme with different ingredients. This is standing in for that section that goes to A flat major, a much broader and more grand statement to bring everything together. So instead of focusing on the cello, the piano is the dominant instrument, which is fitting because the piano plays a very important role in the show itself. Now that piano riff is actually the thing that I think sets the Westworld music apart. It's fitting that it's a piano because like I said, the idea of a player piano, of a piano that has sort of, you know, a programmed role going through it is a sort of metaphorical thing in Westworld. And it also plays an important part of the music overall. There's some really cool piano music that plays in the show's musical score outside of the opening credits. That slightly out of tune piano really sounds like something you would hear in a saloon. Anyway though, this figure from the opening credits, just taken on its own musically, it's also just a cool piano riff. It's kind of like a four part figure, and each one has five notes. It's like an ascending scalar figure moving down chromatically. It starts on B flat, then it goes to A, then it goes to A flat, and then it goes to G. That's more or less what I'm hearing anyways, and I'm not going to go note by note because I want to get to some other music, but when you put them all together, it gets this really cool kind of jangly, like, broken robot going down the stairs effect, which I do think is kind of what they were going for. It's a really cool figure, and it's it's kind of spotlighted in the arrangement in a really cool way as well. It's the thing that sets the Westworld theme apart for me. The Westworld theme is kind of a culmination of Ramin Djawadi's various approaches to composition. I think it's really interesting in that way, and I like it as a piece of music, a type of composition that's become almost a house style that HBO uses and lots of other networks use as well for genre themes, where you establish this really strong motif and then just develop the heck out of it over the course of a minute and a half, and then that becomes the kind of musical identity of your show. However, as much as that style of composition has been dominant at HBO and elsewhere over the last decade, decade and a half, it's time to leave Ramin Djawadi behind, as kaiju-sized as his footprint has been on TV theme music. There are other composers out there writing music in different ways, and one show, a fantastic genre show from last year, totally broke the mold in an amazing way. I'm talking, of course, about Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross's incredible music for 2019's adaptation of Watchmen. Watchmen didn't have an opening credit sequence and the credit sequence is usually how a show establishes its identity with its visual identity and its musical identity. Watchmen didn't do that but it had a very strong visual identity and thanks to Resner and Ross's work a really strong musical one as well. Reznor, of course, well known as the man behind Nine Inch Nails, he and Ross have worked together on a lot of different scores, and they kind of turn up from time to time. They always do something in this vein, something that's very electronic, uh, with a lot of synthesizers, a lot of electronic beats, a lot of really amazing sound design and tonal work. And I think that that's what makes Watchmen stand apart. It's not so much the harmony or, you know, the the melodies that are playing, though some of those are really cool, it's more in the nature of the sounds. The way that this show sounds is just this kind of uncomfortable, electronic, undulating vibe that isn't really like anything else and creates a sense of unreality from the very beginning, which is really important considering what Watchmen is doing, the way that it's telling a story in an alternate timeline in a world that's like ours but also just not. This is one of the defining tracks for me it's called how the west was really won and you know it's just this really steady movement between a few notes i mean it's not really a whole lot of notes like it's in g minor and it's kind of just going from b to b flat to a to g but the sound of this thing is, goes way beyond the harmony it's in these kind of almost atonal sounds that yeah that's going in the background i mean listen to this Also detuning the synth in a cool way. I'm not sure exactly what synthesizer they're using here, but there's some detuning going on, so sometimes the note just fades a little bit out of tune. I'm exaggerating it at the end there, but that's the kind of thing that's going on and it just creates a very uneasy feeling, which fits with the show. I recently rewatched the first episode of this show, which is amazing, by the way. You really, you gotta watch this if you haven't seen it. I Read the book too. It's a great follow on to the book. But anyways, I rewatched the first episode and man, the first like 10, 15 minutes of the first episode are just this constant stressful experience. Famously, it starts with a horrifying depiction of the 1921 Tulsa race massacre, which is an actual thing that happened, but then when it moves to to the present day into this kind of parallel timeline, things just don't feel settled and you have no idea how to feel about anything for quite a while and the music is such a big part of the mood. Something that Reznor and Ross are really good at is developing their music and building it like that piece we were just listening to, How the West Was Really Won, it eventually builds into this just overwhelming, just oppressive crush of music. It's a striking contrast to that first piece that I played that I want to return to now because speaking of builds, this one has the nastiest builds, this is such a cool track. Um, For the purposes of a family-friendly podcast, I will just call this track, None With a Gun, and this is kind of the moment where the show really locks into place in the first episode, and this music, it's just so much tighter, it's so much more focused than what we've been hearing up until that point, that it's a really important sort of moment of musical storytelling. So this music plays when Angela, our hero, finally gets a kind of a suiting-up montage, which is something that you expect from a superhero story, and it kind of takes a long time for Watchmen to finally get there, and even when it does, it's not the kind of like exciting, heroic, suiting-up, you know, montage that you would expect. It's kind of got this very dark energy to it, which both fits with the show's tone overall and also fits with what it turns out is really happening and what the story is kind of setting up. Still, though, it's a very satisfying, very cool sequence. It's shot in a really cool way, and it's edited in a way that I think really emphasizes the way that this music, that Reznor and Ross's music kind of builds, because it cuts from section to section to section in the music very quickly on the show. Like, the bass is in within a couple of seconds on the show. Show. i was struck by this watching it because i'd been listening to the soundtrack a lot and the tune really takes its time to get to the point where the kind of electric bass is in the full chord progression is in and everything really kind of gets rocking by the time the guitar takes the lead like it's a full piece of music that takes a long time to get where it's going Like what you're hearing there with that, it's either a synth or a guitar, that just monster sound on the lead and that super overdriven bass and that happens almost two minutes into the song where the way that the show uses it is much more deliberate. It's much faster. It's cut together much more quickly and it jumps through the song much more quickly. This is as Angela sort of enters the code to enter her lair and pulls out her costume and then we immediately cut to her car driving through the alleyway and then immediately cut to her attacking the 7th Cavalry guy and then immediately cut to her rolling into the police station. It's a sequence of cuts that then also jumps through the song and kind of layers it very quickly and it's a very effective way to use the music check it out Okay, wait, wait, wait. I got to stop. There's more we're going to listen to. This this clip goes on a little bit longer, but there's so much cool stuff happening there already that I want to point out. I mean, this is what happens when a really good editor, really good director, really good sound designer, and really good composers all work together. That whole sequence is so cool sounding. It's so different from just the track on its own. I mean, the music is really cool, but when it's used on the show, that is totally sweet. For starters, okay, when the beat drops, there's this kind of door close, lock, and then a zipper sound as Angela closes the door. Locks it and begins to zip up her costume. And it lines up with the music, it almost becomes like percussion elements. (laughs) Oh man, like right there, that's the snap of her rosaries as she kind of snaps them together. It's not even in time, but it's totally a musical element. I mean, it's mixed in with the music in a way that totally feels like this drum accent. Right after this, there's another cool bit of sound design. This music is really pumping and really going, but then the camera cuts to an interior shot of the car. At the same time, they put a low-pass filter over the music, which makes it sound like you're suddenly in the car and the music has been muted. All the high frequencies have gone away and you're kind of hearing it from outside of the car, which puts you right in there with her. It's a really jarring shift of perspective and the music shifts to accompany it. Check it out. killer the music just has such an undeniable pulse that everything that happens in the soundtrack it sounds like a drum hit That synthesis is what makes Watchmen feel special to me, that sort of audio-visual-musical-narrative synthesis. It makes the show feel like such a considered work and it's one of the reasons that I consider it to be one of the best TV shows I've ever seen. Watchmen is one of my very favorite types of collaborative art where you can tell that a bunch of people who were capable of making amazing stuff on their own, writers, musicians, directors, actors, cinematographers, all these people came together to create something so much more than any one of them could have made on their own, even though any one of them could have made something pretty amazing on their own. But of course, while I could talk about Watchmen music for another two hours probably, there are two more HBO shows whose music I really need to talk about. First up, this is a show whose music I mentioned on a recent Q&A because it's music that actually let me into the show. This was a show that I wasn't totally sold on at first even though I really really love it now and uh, am very glad that I watched it and am looking forward to the next season of it. At first I wasn't totally sure, but I kept coming back because I couldn't get enough of that theme music. I mean, I can't do an episode about HBO theme music without talking about the music from Succession. Nicholas Bretel's succession music, where to even begin with this theme song. This theme song rocks harder than almost any TV theme song, it's one of my favorites I've ever heard, and I think that it is great. The whole melody is arranged around four chords, it's not a super wild chord progression on its own. Those chords are C minor, A flat major, F minor, G major. Yes, that's yet another HBO theme song that's in C minor. Who knows? Maybe there's some magic to that key that makes it work well for TV shows. I guess TV is a visual medium and you have to see your TV. So these are all shows for adults. So young people shouldn't watch them. C minor. I don't know. I can't quite figure it out. Anyway, the thing that makes Bertel's succession theme music rule so hard, it's not the chord progression, it's the melody and it's the juxtaposition of that piano melody with this thunderously weighty string orchestra and this really heavy, just nasty groove with this sub bass underneath it. I mean, oh man, what a stiff cocktail that is. That is just quite a mixture of elements. To me, this will always sound like the crushing weight of legacy coming down on someone who's desperately trying to stay above it and stay alive. And that's really what Succession is about. This is a show that's about really, really rich, powerful people. But it never, for one second, makes it look like it's actually any fun to be rich and powerful. It makes it look awful. These people are all awful, and it's a very funny show that really grew on me, and now I, I, I really love the show. But that music just so perfectly captures the show's vibe and the show's energy. There is no way for these characters to escape this vast wealth, this huge empire that's kind of just been thrust upon them at birth, and try as they might they always kind of tumble back down and i definitely see that in this piano melody so the piano melody really stands apart from the rest of the orchestration we'll talk about the rest of the orchestration in a second cuz it's a super important part of this piece of music but let's start with that melody so for the melody you can basically picture a small thing like a very small figure trying to climb up out of a giant chasm and the chasm is sort of following it up and the chasm is so big and this tiny figure is trying to get out and each each time they're kind of scrabbling up the wall, they then kind of fall down a little more and then they climb higher and then they fall down a little more and then they almost make it and then they tumble all the way back down to where they started. The imagery is so clear, and it comes across both in that kind of line, the way that the melody just gets higher and higher before coming back down, and also the chromaticism that's built into this melody. So chromaticism just means moving in half steps. And if we're in the key of C minor, generally you would play one of a few different types of scales, maybe like a C natural minor scale or a C harmonic minor scale. But there's chromaticism in this melody that goes outside of the C minor scale and creates a lot of dissonance that gives it that kind of ungainly tumbling feeling. Those first two phrases, each one ends with what's called an enclosure, where the target note, in the first case it's a G, is enclosed by a G sharp and a G flat on either side. It's not really about the C minor scale, it's about enclosing that G in these really close half-step tones so that it, it makes this kind of very tight and uncomfortable feeling in the melody. There's an enclosure in the second phrase as well, it's just that the enclosed note is a D, so it's a little bit higher. And then there's that tumble back down to earth, this is over the G chord, which is a V chord, and it's kind of a C harmonic minor scale, which is a great minor scale to use over a V chord, because it gives you that major third on the V chord, the B, which is a natural seventh in the key of C minor. It gives a nice sense of resolution, but it's a sense of resolution going downward, like a tumble back home, which is something that you see a lot watching this show as these children, the Roy children, try to get away from their father, but they always come tumbling back. So under that piano melody, there's just this pulsing, just crushing low, you know, sub-bass moving through that chord progression with this heavy groove. And that's the inexorable weight of legacy of Logan Roy, of this horrible family that all these people are trapped in. There is one unusual percussion texture in there, one instrument that I actually hadn't really noticed or thought about until I listened to this song for this episode, but it's in there providing part of the sizzle, and it's something that we talked about earlier in the year, much earlier in the year, when we talked about the Beach Boys' God Only Knows. That's right, the sleigh bells. The sleigh bells add an element of goofiness to this that actually sort of works with the overall vibe. Listen back again and and keep your ears out for those sleigh bells. Now that moment at the end of the phrase where the snare drum plays those four sixteenth notes, bop, 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 kind of behind the beat, that is the moment that makes this entire piece of music work for me. And it's because it's a moment where the melody is finally pulled back into the orbit of the accompaniment, so it works thematically, but it also just grooves super hard. Hear those strings coming in? So the second time through the strings, which represent legacy, come crashing in. So this is kind of the B section of the opening credits, and this is where the whole vibe changes, the harmony changes, and the visuals also change this is where we've kind of moved from the city to this country house, and it's really just focusing on this family. And as a result, the strings have sort of taken over, and the whole thing has gotten much darker. The piano has been completely subsumed. It's just gone. The beat, which could kind of represent the city, that's also gone. And it's just the strings, and it's kind of this oppressive, just sitting there on C minor and then eventually going down to B flat, and it just goes between C minor and B flat. So even that original chord progression, which is kind of fun, you know, it kind of has a nice bounce to it, is gone and it's just this like heavy string world and it just keeps on building it builds and it builds and it builds and when you think it can't get any bigger it gets bigger it's so big it's hard to breathe and then right here you'll hear the piano very quietly sneak back in before, it's back to reality. It's such a wild theme, it's like a mix between a diamond commercial and a horror movie. There are so many nightmarish elements to it. Even the filters, the EQ filters that are put over everything. Like the piano has this kind of EQ filter on it. So it doesn't just sound like a piano. It has a kind of boxy sound like they've, they've trimmed off the high and low frequencies. So it's a little bit like that radio filter that just makes it sound a little bit less present and more dreamlike. And it gives the whole thing a kind of a nightmarish quality. That's not the only thing. There's also that string build. This happens a couple of times in the theme where the strings just do this steady glissando upward that sounds straight out of a horror movie. What a theme song. It's so perfectly aligned with the show. It captures the show so beautifully that I almost feel as though the show has in some ways evolved around the theme music to become even more representative of the theme music as it's gone on through its second season. This theme music has become a phenomenon, a lot like Game of Thrones, and I'd be remiss if I didn't mention my favorite cover reinterpretation of it. Um, That is Demi Adajwebe's Kiss from Daddy, in which he wrote lyrics to the song that uh, he described as the rejected lyrics to the song but i don't know why hbo would reject them if you really submitted them i mean they perfectly capture the plot of the show
1: All the rich white folk are going to argue and then best is going to win the from argue and then best is going to win the from daddy. We'll Get. Go- Of course,
0: that parody really works because it actually kind of leans into how there's this sort of goofy element to this theme music as self-serious and sort of stomping and big as it is. There's also something silly about it. There's something silly about that melody, and it works when you sing silly lyrics over it. I can't think of another show where the theme music has made me like the show so much and continues to make me like the show so much, even though I like the show on its own merits. But whenever I hear the theme music or when the theme music comes in, you know, when that theme starts to play behind a scene on the show, it just totally lights the whole thing up for me and makes it all work. We're going long and we've covered a lot of ground on this episode, but there is one more HBO show that I feel like I need to talk about on this episode. It's a show from 2014, and it's a really profound and meaningful show for me. It's also actually probably the show on this episode that I feel like the fewest of you have probably seen. I'm talking, of course, about The Leftovers. The Leftovers was one of those impossible shows, the shows that feel like they shouldn't exist. It was this very delicate creation about loss and faith and love and hope. Anything too heavy would have broken it, it needed to be so light, and Max Richter's score, driven primarily by the piano, managed it so beautifully. pieces of music move me like that one the departure and it's not just because it's beautiful music though i do think that it's beautifully written and beautifully recorded and beautifully performed it's also just what it accompanies and what it tends to represent on the show So the premise of The Leftovers is that all at once 2% of the world's population just vanish. It's like a mini rapture. And everything else on the show isn't fantastical like that, but it takes place in a world where something impossible happened. And it was also something very sad where a lot of people lost loved ones with no warning and no explanation and no answers. And so the whole show is about this search for answers which turns it into this really amazing exploration of the entire notion of faith. So periodically on the show, the characters will experience these sort of transcendental moments, moments that maybe seem impossible or like something supernatural is happening, even though you could explain it away one way or another. This is a world that's just slightly broken, it's all been set askew by this impossible event, and as they search for meaning, they frequently find it in unexpected places. And usually when that happens, You hear this music. Now, I consider that piece of music, Max Richter's The Departure, to be basically the leftovers theme. It's not the credits music. The credits music was this one piece of music that played during season one, then they changed it for season two and then for season three, which is, you know, really great. They do some really fun stuff with the credits music on that show, but I'll always think of this piece of piano music, the departure, as the theme for the leftovers because it's the music that returns again and again and again in wildly different circumstances as the show goes to all different kinds of places all around the world, but the music is what unites everything and it's what always brings you back to that feeling that this show manages to capture, this leftovers feeling that no other show has ever captured for me. What's wild is I have these really distinct associations with this piece of music, but it's very very simple. For starters, okay, guess what key we're in? Did you guess? We're in C, C minor. It's yet another HBO theme that's in C. They're all in C minor because you see the TV. I don't know, I still haven't figured out why C minor is the official key, but it is. We are in C minor and actually the second chord is A flat major, which is also the second chord of the succession theme. Goes to show having the same chord progression does not mean that your music will sound like other music with the same two chords. The way the piano part works is it starts in root position on C, it just moves C, E flat to G, and then it just changes the G to an A flat which puts it as a sort of first inversion A-flat major chord, C, E-flat, A-flat. So this whole thing moves around inversions. The next chord is an E-flat major, but it's in second inversion, so there's a B-flat down on the bottom, and then there's a G-major chord, but it's in first inversion again with a B. So the bass note actually doesn't move a whole lot. It goes from C, stays on C, goes down to B-flat, and then goes to B. But the chord progression goes C-minor, A-flat major, E-flat major, G-major. Okay, so my recreation is all well and good but before we get to the melody there's actually a really important component here that's missing from my recreation and that's the way the piano sounds. Listen to the original. It's so much more covered, it's so much darker, and the reason for that is that it literally is covered. They have the lid on the piano closed, or at least that's kind of what I'm hearing. Now, I don't have a grand piano, but I do have a pretty good grand piano sampler, and like any good sampler, it lets you close the lid on the piano. So this is what it sounds like with the lid open. Now let's close the lid and get that leftovers sound that's the stuff. Now for the melody. It's such a delicate melody, it's so simple, it just starts on that minor third E flat but it really emphasizes the ninth, that which is also known as the second and just leaves things feeling suspended and it's all about that suspended sound which adds to the sort of feeling of the numinous that this piece of music inspires I've used the word delicate a lot when talking about The Leftovers, and that's because I think it's such an unusually delicate show. And Richter's music is unusually delicate as well, it's constantly pulling this delicate feat where it starts with something so small, and it grows and grows and grows, and even at its biggest, it hasn't lost that connection to that delicacy, just thanks to the care with which it was developed. The show also uses pop songs really smartly, there's this great Piano Pixies cover that I don't want to even ruin for you if you haven't seen the show, but another one of my favorite pieces is more string-oriented, and it's called Dona Nobis Pacham, and it turns up at various crucial points throughout the series, and it's a piece of music that just, it just moves me, it guts me whenever I hear it. There's no big harmonic trick going on here. The melody isn't doing anything profound or unusual. It's not just the music, it's how it serves the vision. And you could say that of all of the music we've talked about on this episode. It's just a beautiful sequence of notes put together with great care and used in the service of a profound creative vision. And that's what the best TV theme music is all about. And that'll do it for my analysis of my favorite theme music from various HBO shows, some of which are some of my very favorite TV shows. I hope you like this episode. It was really fun to make. And if you did like it, I hope that you'll consider supporting me making this show and making future episodes on Patreon at patreon.com slash strong songs. You can also support me making this show by telling people about it. I hear from so many listeners who tell their friends and their family, who are spreading the word. That's really, really cool. That's how I grow my audience. So thank you so much to everyone who's done that. And if you know someone who likes music who might like this show, please do tell them about it. You can find social media newsletter links down in the show notes. And also, we're going to have some Strong Songs merch in the near future. So stay tuned for that. This episode's outro soloist is the one and only Luke Price on the fiddle, so stick around for Luke, and I will be back in two weeks with more Strong Songs.